think in business, it's taking complex ideas and articulating them simply or making them simple is genius. Welcome to the Invest Local podcast, where we uncover the brilliance of local businesses that are slugging it out, serving their customers and giving back to their own communities. Check us out at vicinitycapital.com and give us a follow on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Also, we are not making any investment recommendations, nor are we providing any sort of investment advice. Now on with the show. Welcome everyone to Vicinity Capital podcast series. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Derek Whaley, and joining me um, from Vicinity, as always, are Josh Rollins and John Crawford, our co-founders. On today's podcast, we're going to learn a little bit more um, about Alex Blackstream, uh, real estate, uh, commercial real estate, financial investments, and really kind of unpack and dive into Alex's story. Um, and it had, Alex himself has developed over 100 commercial projects spanning from Alaska to Puerto Rico, as well as 15 shopping and mixed use centers totaling over a billion dollars in project value and have invested over 500 million in commercial property acquisitions and currently developing a $40 million multifamily project and leading one of those largest brokerage firms in the Southeast today. We get the privilege today of unpacking Alex's origin story and learning about his professional career in the world of real estate and financial investment. So Alex, first off, we'd love to hear a little bit about you. Born and raised, high school, homeschool, self-taught, um, you know, what, where did you come from? Sure. Uh, uh, thanks, Derek. I'm uh, I'm a native Chicagoan that has transplanted to Greenville. Uh, but to really understand, um, you know, Chicago's one of those cities which is built on immigration. And so I'm an immigrant's kid. Um, and in, what people might find interesting is I've traced my roots back to 1648. So we are uh, Ukrainian, and my family lived in the same village since 1648 in western Ukraine, where one of my ancient ancestors uh, was a was a warrior, got wounded in a campaign in 1648, um, and and my family has been basically fighting for Ukrainian freedom since then. And my dad grew up uh, as a as a little boy with Ukrainians uh, around the kitchen table at night, uh, clandestinely uh, plotting independence uh, from Russia. So it's a uh, it's it's a very interesting background uh, from that standpoint. And they fled after World War II, where my father, uh, and, and many people don't know this, but Ukraine ended up being the uh, kind of the caught between the hammer and anvil of Hitler on one side and Stalin on the, uh, on the other side and having a two-front war, which they got crushed pretty badly uh, as the war went across one side into the other. And, uh, and my family was no, we're certainly... Uh, uh, part of that, including my grandparents being uh, shipped off to Siberia after the war as a result of my father fighting against Russia. So it's uh, that's kind of the background I grew up in. And coming to the United States, it was kind of the classic immigrant story. My parents really emphasized education and sports. Uh, basically, they said, be a gentleman, uh, work your jobs to work hard in school and make sure you're uh, physically fit. So I did and got an athletic scholarship to an Ivy League school, which then I, I had the good luck to run into a roommate that said, soccer got you in here, now use this to make a career. And uh, so I stopped thinking of myself as a, a soccer player and started thinking about other things and then was able to go to business school uh, in the Ivy League as well. So it's um, uh, it, it's something that was emphasized and uh, I ended up uh, 
then eventually making my way into commercial real estate. Wow, that is incredible. Okay, so uh, also as I mean that's that's wild. I, uh, my mother is Guatemala, and they immigrated here when she was four or five. So also immigrants have awesome. uh, have awesome. It's awesome. truly the the American dream. I mean, is it not? And it's, we're we're oh all God. we're all descended from immigrants. It's just a question of when. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I love I love that. So. What led you from um, uh, uh, your, and I was going to ask your Ivy League school, where did you, where did you play professional or uh, college sports? Uh, under, undergraduate at Dartmouth and graduate school at Harvard. General way of going was you, re, you interviewed and you got with the biggest company you could that had a training program. Um, that was kind of the, the way. So people were going to IBM, Procter & Gamble, GE, other giant behemoths. And I did the same thing. I, out of Dartmouth, I went to Procter and Gamble. Um, but what they don't, what nobody was learning was entrepreneurism. There was nothing in the seventies and eighties that were, that would prepare you for that. And I loved it. It was, to me, it was white space. It was, you're writing your own rules. Um, it, it, uh, there, there, there wasn't a lot of structure involved. And so every, it seemed like everything we were doing, we were just Call, pulling on what we could learn from other people, from other places, and on our own experience, and sometimes just common sense. And so it was a, a remarkably stimulating time. Uh, out of everything, the greatest skill that I learned was salesmanship. Um, being able to pick up a phone, call somebody, go, go have a meeting, and convince them of something. Uh, in that case, it was selling trade show booths. And uh, the rest of the life, my life, it's been on ideas. And uh, I still think it's one of the most valuable skills anybody can, can learn in, in business. I agree with you. You know, it's when you look at, at the, uh, the education and, and majors and emphasis around the, you know, the country, there's marketing, there's business management, there's finance, mm-hmm. but there's really not a whole lot of that sales, right? That sales. And so, you know, you can argue that you, know, you have it, or you don't have it, but I mean, getting out there and just, and just doing it, breaking that fear barrier and, and going after it. So I, I'm jealous. I mean, that, that having that, you're right, that white page and just going right in in the trenches and learning how to, to be a salesman, interact with people. Um, and really, you know, salesman is just offering value. You know, how do I clearly communicate, you know, what I can do and improve, improve your business and your quality of life? I, I love that. That's, that's good. So is there a myth that you'd like to debunk for the future entrepreneurs that are, that are out there listening uh, to give them some encouragement, you know, to say, hey, you know, you might be thinking this, but really, you know, just getting in and doing it. Is there, is there a specific myth that you'd like to debunk? Um, yeah. I, the myth is that it takes anything, spe- any special skill or any special talent to be an entrepreneur. It, it really doesn't. Take it from the simplest point. Can it be any simpler than an immigrant that doesn't speak the language coming to the United States and yet they can still start businesses in a very simple way in the major cities, whether it's Italian or Polish or whatever type of immigrant today, it could be Mexican or I don't care what country it's from. They can, there's a couple of things that they can do to get off the ground that has zero barrier. If you notice, there's people that start janitorial or landscaping businesses, even kids do it, right? And you can scale that as a low barrier to entry. If you do a great job, you can be in business. On the other side, immigrants for years have been buying one and two flats in small apartment buildings or living in one and renting out the other and get themselves started and buy again and again. There's no, they may not even speak English and they can do it. 
there's no barrier to entry. So the better your idea, the, the more you can scale. And secondly, keep it simple, for God's sake. Um, I think that, uh, that a lot of people believe that the more complicated they can do things, the more intelligent they are. But I think, in, and that may be true in physics and in, in other disciplines, engineering, but I think in business, it's taking complex ideas and articulating them simply or making them simple is genius. Agreed. Agreed. So, so tying, I know I, and this is what Josh had, had warned about earlier with rabbit trails. It's what I do. I genuinely, you know, I, I love peeling, peeling back the onions and, and hearing just the thought and the simplicity of being able to execute, but tying it all back in the, the journey back to Greenville, journey to Greenville, I should say, yeah. how did that manifest and, and how did you, how did you get back to the South, get to the South? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of simple. I, <laughs> I was, I've been a developer in commercial real estate for most of my um, professional career. And after the recession of 2008-2009, things were brutal. And uh, I had a lot of projects under development, and I had to shut down my development business because 95% of construction disappeared. And so I thought long and hard with my wife on what, what do I know about real estate and what do I know about past recessions? And one thing that struck me is the areas hit the hardest tend to bounce back the soonest. So if you remember that recession, it was uh, Florida, Phoenix, Southern California, Texas. The, the, the South really got crushed uh, with ridiculous amounts of foreclosures and so forth. But I thought they're going to bounce back faster. I was living in Chicago at the time. So we decided to move to Orlando, Florida, because I had been president of a REIT there previously, a real estate investment trust. And, uh, and therefore, I, I knew I had a network of people that I knew. And we went there and I started networking around and was able to, to find a position with SVN corporately. So this was a time of uh, a scarcity of jobs in the industry. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this because about five years or six years later, the economy improved, and I'm sitting listening to an economist talk to a giant room full of people. And he, at the time, he said um, that employment, we were at full employment. This was already in the, in the recovery, this great boom that we've just witnessed, uh, it just passed. And he said, anybody that's got a job that wants a job has a job. And I thought about it, and I go, my gosh, I took this role at a time of job scarcity. Now there's job abundance. Maybe I should be looking and talking to folks uh, about getting back into development and getting back into um, a a different role, closer, less corporate role and more entrepreneurial. And so I networked with a person that I knew, Ford Elliott in Greenville. Uh, One thing led to another, his business was exploding. And I had uh, experience with startups and taking them to maturity and helping companies mature. And so we we started talking to one another and decided, let's get married. And that's how I came to, to, to Greenville as president of Blackstream. And since then, we have just continued growing. Our growth has been exponential. And uh, uh, we've expanded from being in one city into five. Um, we've... Uh, I don't know, quadrupled our business in three years and uh, both in terms of number of people and, and dollar volume and transactions. And, and it's just been a, a real fun ride. That, that is. And, and so speaking of, of the ride of, of Greenville, right? So you, when did yeah. you move to Greenville first? Let me ask you that. Three, three years ago, almost to the date. 
three years ago to and, and even in these in these past three years, can you give us a little bit of the behind the scenes from from that commercial real estate? What what has Greenville in the past three years been like to now? And then what do you think the future is going to look like in uh, in Greenville? Does it does it look good? Does it is it plateaued? Is it going to be about to say the same? Well, it, it's really it's really interesting. It, it, this gets into what Josh and I had spoken about the other day, and John is Greenville's very uniquely positioned, probably in the country. Um, and to understand our growth here, it's really a three-part growth story. Uh, one part is just supply chain, warehouses, and kind of industrial distribution. That's that's one. There's been remarkable growth there. Two is international companies. And three is, I'll call it the tech or engineering sector. So what does all that mean? Um, previously, some of the, our, our goods and services ended up getting manufactured overseas, as we all very well know. And China has been a huge manufacturer of goods, goods for the United States. And previously, they would load goods onto these giant super tankers, mega tankers, and they would go from China to the port of Long Beach and the port of San Francisco and reach the West Coast and then get distributed by rail and by, by truck all over the, the U.S. And that was the, the way it would go. And the reason it was happening was the Panama Canal was not deep enough or wide enough to handle the mega tankers, and they weren't going to go around the Straits of Magellan to reach the East Coast. Well, a few years back, the Panama Canal got widened. And so all of a sudden, these super tankers could come to through the Panama Canal to reach the East Coast cost-effectively. Now, why in the world would the Panama Canal widening affect Greenville? Well, the next question is, where can the super tankers dock? Where can they go into port? And it needs to be a deep port. And if you think about uh, Florida, the, um, uh, the Florida's sh- shoals are relatively um, shallow because there's like a, a shelf. Uh, continental shelf there. So they would come to where the naval shipyards were, where in World War II we were making our naval uh, ships to be able to fight Germany and Japan. And that would be in the ports of Savannah, Charleston, and Hampton Roads or Newport News. Uh, and so those that's the, the area where these mega tankers would dock to unload their goods and services. So both in Savannah and in Charleston, they would drop off their, their stuff to reach the East Coast, and then you've got to distribute it. And Greenville has an inland port. Uh, in some places, it's called an intermodal facility. It's basically where the goods come in by truck or by train and then get uh, offloaded and distributed to the eastern seaboard within 24 hours. So Greenville, and that's all happening in Greer, right outside of Greenville. And that's part of the distribution network, why there's so many warehouses in the Greenville area um, to be able to service the east, east coast of the United States. Separate from that, um, we also, about 20 years ago, South Carolina, not specifically Greenville, but South Carolina started focusing on what their identity is going to be, right? Every organization should have an identity. And what is the identity for South Carolina? And you know, South Carolina was not what it is today. Today, it's considered a very innovative, unique, great workforce, intelligent place. Back then, it was a little bit backwards. And I think we all can, we all know that. Um, you know, there's the old joke, thank God for Mississippi. 
Um, but today it's <laughs> so different. We, 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 we brought in international firms and we became the destination for international firms to come to the United States. And it's as witnessed by exactly what you said, Derek, we had BMW come, Michelin come, but there's over 500 international firms headquartered with their U.S. headquarters in South Carolina. And it was intentional and it was a great strategy. And a lot of those firms are also brought not just manufacturing, but a lot of engineering jobs. And that kind of segues into the third area. When you tell people that we've got BMW here, some people's initial reaction is, oh, you got a plant. Well, no, it's not just a plant. We've got engineering. We've got R&D. We've got a lot of intelligence going on. And if you live in Greenville, you're running into engineers all over the place. And then uh, GE has their only R&D facility, research and development facility in the world headquartered here in Greenville. Think of that. Some of the best minds with one of the biggest companies are here in, Gre in Greenville. So as a result, you've got all these spinoff companies that are working with the firms that, that have located here and uh, sub-suppliers, and it's just led to a wonderful white-collar boom. So we've got both the distribution logistics, which I'll call blue-collar jobs, and we've got white-collar jobs. And so that's what makes us truly unique, I think, in the country is, uh, you know, we're probably like the Austin, Texas of, um, of, of the current decade. You know, Austin, what Austin was 20 years ago, I think Greenville is today. I'm so exciting to to hear. Oh my, so just curious what your thoughts are on uh, on how you yourself, how how Blackstream, how that ties into the local business scene in Greenville. Yeah, well, that's that's a big part of our commercial side, is that we help industrial firms, office uh, people looking for offices, um, retailers looking to open, or landlords owning those types of properties fill up their locations and to buy and sell, as well as uh, with apartments and and other hotels and other sectors. Uh, we help um, help people with their investments or we help tenants uh, or, or companies be able to find their locations. So, uh, and that that's a local business. Even though we're a national company, real estate is still local. Um, and by having uh, a strong footprint and presence uh, in Greenville, we're able to help hundreds, if not thousands of of local companies be able to grow their businesses. Um, and sometimes growing their business means shrinking. Um, right now, a lot of people have just discovered that with COVID-19, they've been able to work from home and might be sh shrinking the footprint of their office. And that's very real. And we've been helping people whose leases are expiring operate out of West space. So it's, uh, this has just been a very interesting time um, uh, uh, for, for us and for, for Greenville. And if you you've got, have your ear to the ground and you're talking to folks daily, you're learning on a day-to-day -day basis on what, what's happening in the marketplace. And that's something we're very big on. Sure. No, everything is changing. And, you know, I'm jealous of, of your, your confidence in the economy and the, and the market just from your past experiences, having lived through, you know, the 2008, you know, time frame, um, seeing and having a little bit more of, of, you know, vision. I mean, that, that permeates throughout your staff. And so that's, that's great that you have that leadership that you can be able to convey to them. That's, that's really good because we're in uncharted waters and, you know, who knew Zoom, Skype, all of these virtual, you know, uh, communication tools would, would be so, so used uh, now more than, more than ever. Um, so I'm going to. Totally right there.
Um, one of the things I wanted to uh, to ask you uh, mainly about Green, but we we like to ask this with everybody. Um, what is your your favorite aspect of of the Greenville community? Um, and it really, just in the Carolinas in general, obviously you have some offices in other in other places, other states. Um, Greenville and then Carolinas. What's your favorite part? Well, well Green, Greenville. It is just uh, how kind and open and gentle the people are. Um, it's just it's just a friendly place. I don't know how else to put it. Um, people say hello and they walk down the street. They look at each other. They, it's just a very polite, wonderful place to live. And I'll leave it at that. That that's unique in and of itself in in the country. Uh, and and the Carolinas is it's just how progressive and how go go uh, the entire both both states are in terms of um, uh, education, business. Um, it doesn't really matter. It's like everything. Uh, medically, you know, the, the Duke's as good as any place in the country from that standpoint. From engineering to industrial basically every aspect of uh is just um progressive that's probably the best way to put it i'm going to jump in with a question alex you described um for us a um, a picture of southern hospitality to international businesses um and you know you essentially said somebody from a strategic standpoint got together and said what's our identity and I mm -hmm. think there's something to the hospitality inherent within the culture here in the South. They showed that to international businesses. And so with a, um, and I think it's, it's, it's worked and it's been obviously helpful uh, and a boon to the, the economies here in the Carolinas, South Carolina in particular. How do you keep a, you know, a balanced look in terms of the, the, the backbone that the, the local business scene, businesses like yourself bring to South Carolina and the Carolinas. You know, we've we've come a long way in in South Carolina, and and at this point, I think we're already you know we're no longer um, in that rapid growth stage, kind of going from infancy into uh, being juvenile. I think we're 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 young adults right now. There's a lot of long runway left, um, and so a lot of local firms have grown with that. It's forced us all to get better and to grow up and to uh, develop our talent or bring in talent from the outside. And that's just part of, part of what's going on. Phenomenal question. Um, yeah. And then kind of the last thing I wanted to ask, ask you, Alex, um, you know, being clearly, you know, you yourself, but also Blackstream is, is proven to be kind of a leader in that commercial real estate space and, and investment community um, in Greenville, in that community. How are you yourself? Um, and I guess as a company too, but how are you yourself involved? you know, in the local community, do you guys offer any type of mentorship program? Are you a chair, co-chair, any, any volunteering that, um, that Blackstream yeah. or yourself gets involved in? Yeah. In fact, that's uh that's a, I'm glad you asked that. One of the things that philosophically we do is we don't give money as a company to charities. Um, and this is a little bit of the, uh, Warren Buffett philosophy, who I think is the most brilliant in investor ever. Um, he wanted to make sure that the, the individual shareholders got the money and then they could do with it what they want, give it to their charities. So what we do instead is we volunteer. We believe, believe in giving our time. And so one of our major uh, charities is a Rebuild Upstate, which is uh, ties in real estate really well with uh, the local community and helps underprivileged people to be able to make improvements on their homes. 
And so every twice a year, we, uh, we volunteer and we have a good turnout and we go in and we're, we're, you know, tearing down doors, painting things, stripping, rebuilding roofs, whatever it is on, on the project to be able to tie real estate together with help, helping uh, underprivileged or handicapped people. And, and very this past fall, because we couldn't do it in the spring because of COVID, we helped a, a, a Vietnam veteran who couldn't walk uh, be able to get a, build a ramp for him for his wheelchair and redo the, the windows on his, uh, on his house. And so we, that's, that's one of our major initiatives um, uh, that we're involved in. And then what we foster are individuals in our company, Jesse Carter being one, one of the young men, also a Clemson graduate, who's been part of Leadership Greenville, and uh, uh, which is uh, identifying up-and-coming leaders for the community to do both um, uh, charitable work as well as getting to know each other, creating a networking uh, process for them to be able to go through a one-year program together. In that way, and we've had two people uh, in our company already go through that, and we're going to continue doing doing things like that to make sure we're connecting in with uh, with the rest of the community. And before we end, for those people that are interested in learning more about Blackstream. Um, getting in touch with you, um, where can we direct them? Yep. Uh, first, my name is Alex Dimaturco. That's how you pronounce it. And you can email me at alex at blackstreamre.com. And there you have it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Invest Local Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving a review and feel free to follow us on any of our social media platforms. And don't forget to tune in next week for more local stories.